0: I have found myself in the middle of a Facebook frenzy this past week. A week ago, I posted, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ Is. And I really didn't know where it was going to go, but we sing this song, 10,000 Reasons. And I thought, we ought to be be able to muster up 10,000 comments on the Facebook post. Well, we're over 6,000 as of this morning, so uh, it's all good. It's all good. And we're on our way. But uh, I just thought you'd enjoy a few. Uh, from my friend Ashraf in Jordan, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the day heaven met earth. Or Morgan from Lilburn, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is cooler than your new iPhone. <laughs> Stephen from Boston, whoever Stephen is, it gives new meaning to blood drive. Or a, far, a former marijuana smoker, Jim from Pennsylvania. It's why a former toker is now smoking for the kingdom. <laughs> or Sandy from Israel. It's the reason why I wake up every morning in love with this life. That's good stuff. How is it, how is it that an event that took place 2,000 years ago has such an impact on our lives today? How is that? To answer the question, this morning we get to open a book of the Bible that was actually written 700 years before Christ was born. And it describes in incredible accuracy what took place in Jesus' life. The book of Isaiah contains over 30 specific prophetic predictions of what would happen when the Messiah Jesus would be would come into this world it's absolutely incredible in fact the book of isaiah has been called the bible in miniature it's not the longest of the prophets, but it was put the first of 17 Old Testament prophets. It was the first one placed there because it's the most complete. It's called the Book of Romans in the Old Testament. But the Bible in miniature, because the Bible has 66 books, Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible's divided into Old Testament, New Testament, The book of Isaiah is divided into the prophecies leading up to Christ and those following Christ. The Bible has 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The book of Isaiah has 39 describing what comes leading up to the coming of Christ and then 27 following. It's no coincidence. Now, the Old Testament contains over 300 Specific prophecies predicting what would take place when the Messiah would come. All 300 were fulfilled in Christ. Of the 300 over 30 are in this one book we're looking at this morning, the book of Isaiah. Now, just mathematically, a friend of mine calculated, and I've had it verified, in fact it's been published, Mathematically, if one person would fulfill eight predictions, the likelihood is one out of ten to the seventeenth power, or one followed by seventeen zeros. It's a hundred and whatever gazillion. It's more people than there have ever been born. Now, that's just eight. We're going to look this morning at 16. And they're in your notes this morning. 16 16 specific predictions that Jesus fulfilled when He came. First of all, His birth. You see, this is the Son of God that we're talking about here. So God could have sent His Son Jesus any way He wanted. He could have formed Him out of clay like he did Adam and Eve. He could have carved him out of a tree or out of granite, or he could have done it anyway. But he had him born of a woman, and not just any woman, a virgin. It says in the book of Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And it was. But this morning we want to focus more on the life, and particularly the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And for that, we look at Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 gives incredible detail on what took place when Jesus came. It says here, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. You would think the Son of God could have looked like You know, anything, whoever your model guy is. And a beautiful, a strong, manly, a a large specimen. But there was nothing outwardly that was attractive. We're not sure if he in high school would have been invited to the prom. There was nothing magnetically attractive to Jesus. He laid all that aside and came as a very common looking person. He was rejected by people. Now you'd think when the Son of God would come, the whole world would stand up and clap and take note. But it predicted, and it was fulfilled, that He would have no notoriety. In fact, He would be rejected. Beyond that, that He would stand trial. An unjust trial. Here it says, by oppression and judgment, He was taken away. It says that he would be silent at his trial. He did not open his mouth and that was fulfilled. It says here he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. So he would be utterly innocent and he was. While facing the darkest time of his life, he would pray for his enemies. It says he made intercession for the transgressors, and He did from the cross. Now you would think that He would be treated well even with all this, but it says here, He was crushed for our iniquities, and by His wounds we are healed. And He was whipped and beaten. It says He was pierced, referring to His death by crucifixion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, that He would not die all by Himself on that day, but in the middle of other wicked people, and He was. There were thieves on either side of Him when He was crucified. Not only would He be executed among thieves, but then the highly unlikely thing, He would be buried with the rich. And it says here, "...with the rich..." In his death, and he was, the wealthy man Joseph of Arimathea gave him his crypt and had him buried there. But that's only the beginning. Now we come to the resurrection. Now understand, Isaiah wrote his book 700 years before Jesus was even born. I don't even know what I'm having for breakfast tomorrow morning. But here, 700 years, it's predicted to the fine details. And it says regarding His resurrection, though He would be pierced, though He would be scourged, though He would be this guilt offering, though He'd be assigned a grave, which means He would die. Then it says, He will see His offspring and prolong His day. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Now that's talking about the resurrection. Seven hundred years before he was even born, it was predicted that he would not only die a brutal death, but that he would come back from the, the grave. And he would see, he would see his offspring, his children, and He would be satisfied. He would be fulfilled by seeing the results of His suffering. But it doesn't even end there. It goes on and it says here in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, "...the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. I will give Him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Now what this is the image of, it's of a military uh, general who leads his troops into battle. He engages in severe battle, and it's like he's down and out, but at the eleventh hour he conquers, He takes the spoils of war back with Him so that He can share those spoils with others. The New Testament picks up on that prophecy and it says when Christ died, He descended into the lower parts of the earth and led captives in His train when He rose and ascended so that today He gives gifts to people. He divides the spoils of what He got when He died with us today because He's ascended into heaven. I think you can clap for that. Not only... Not only that he did it, but it was predicted 700 years before it came to pass. Now, <clears throat> I was doing some preparation, and I found an interesting moment when the man August Compt was chatting with his friend, Thomas Carle, and August Comte says, I'm going to start a new religion. And Thomas listened up. He said, I'm going to start the religion of positivism and it's going to replace Christianity. And uh, Thomas Carlisle said, uh, Very good. You better start working some miracles. You better start healing some blind eyes and opening deaf ears and raising some dead people and walking on water and teaching like no one has ever taught before. And then, when you're done with that, then you should be betrayed by your closest friends. You should be crucified and laid in a tomb with a stone rolled across the front of the tomb. Literally dead and then three days be raised from the dead, and then I'll start taking you seriously. (laughs) Good answer! Now, August Kamp started positivism. Mm -hmm. And it was picked up by Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Shuler and Joel Osteen and and others. Positivism. But it hasn't replaced Christianity. And when you come to Easter, don't settle for positivism. This is not just a feel-good day when we, we encourage each other with positive thinking. This is a day, for crying out loud, that Jesus rose from the dead. This is a moment in history. This is an unrepeatable moment. When Jesus came forth out of the grave. No, the book of Isaiah tells us very clearly in these 16 specific fulfillments of prophecy that were predicted 700 years and then Jesus comes along and fulfills them all spot on. So Jesus was in the book of Isaiah. But that's not my message this morning. Most of us have already heard that. The message this morning is that you are in the book of Isaiah, and I'm in the book of Isaiah. I want you to see this. I've already read the verses, but I want to read them again with a little different emphasis. Hear what it says. For He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord laid on Him the iniquities of us all, and He became a guilt offering. The spotlight of God's Word is first of all on Jesus. But then, not only does the Word of God, and particularly the book of Isaiah, spotlight Jesus... But it shows that in Jesus you and I have a share. You see, when it comes to the death of Jesus, why did He have to come and die? He didn't need to do it for Himself. He wasn't sick. He wasn't sinful. There was no sorrow in Him. There was no guilt or shame. Jesus came to die because All of that is in us. And in order for him to do anything about it for us, he needed to take it. And it was as if there was a needle stuck in every one of us and our DNA drawn out and injected into Jesus. He carried our infirmities. That means our sicknesses. It doesn't matter if it's migraine, headaches, diabetes, back issues, herniated discs, whatever physical issues it is. Jesus took that when He went to the cross. He took it for you. Our infirmities. And our sorrows. As I look around this room, I know more than half of you. I know some of the deep waters you have been through. I know the heartaches that you've had. And for the rest of you, I can only imagine the abuse, the suffering, the rejection, the guilt, the loneliness, the sorrow of grief, of loss, of betrayal, of failure. Jesus took all of our sorrows And He took all of our guilt. He was made a guilt offering. The shame that we feel socially, but far more important than social shame, is the guilt before a holy God. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all turned our backs on God. We've each gone astray. But God laid on Jesus the iniquities of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was not born to die for His benefit. He did it for you and He did it for me. And He not only died, but the fact is He rose for you. Just as He didn't have to come and die, He didn't have to come and die and be raised for His own benefit. He was fully alive before he, he came and He would be fully alive after. But He did that for you so that now having been injected with all of our issues, all of our sicknesses, all of our sorrows, all of our sin and our shame, all injected into Christ. Now from Christ, We receive almost like a, uh, almost like an immunization. We, He's been the host who carried all of our sicknesses. And when He raised, God in Christ conquered all the toxins of humanity. All of our sorrows, our sicknesses, physical, emotional, spiritual illnesses, when He was raised, He gives us the power to conquer ourselves over sorrow and sickness and sin and shame. That's the celebration of Easter. so that we don't have to just drum up, oh, isn't Easter great? Look at all the flowers and the pretty people and the great energetic music and and we get into this positive state of mind. No! No! The reality is, when He rose, He made it possible for you to be raised and from now on, walk in a whole new level of life. And... He not only rose, but He ascended and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And He rules the universe, not just in a generic way, but He rules from heaven, but He wants to rule very personally in your life and in mine. That's what satisfies Him. That's when There's fulfillment. That's when His death and resurrection are now validated, when it's validated in you and me. Well, it's not just human success. There's lots of successful people that still have yet to find the true joy and blessing in life. Some of you have heard of Dave Chappelle. Dave's a great comedian, one of the funniest guys you'll ever hear. He was offered a $5 million deal on the Comedy Channel and he signed. $5 million. Tell jokes. He's at the prime of his career. And he utterly disappears before the ink is dry on the contract. He turns up in South Africa. And they said, what's up? What happened? He said... The higher up I go, for some reason, the less happy I am. True story. Some of you have read the books of Jack Higgins, the thriller novelist. He has sold 250 million books. One of the most widely read authors in all history. Translated into over 60 languages. He was interviewed in a magazine this past year. He says, I wish I knew when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Now, if success, if money, if career goals being met would give fulfillment, they surely would have found it. But you see, the fact is, is that in every one of us, there's a missing piece. We were born for more than this. Jesus is the missing piece. Jesus is the One who fills the void to give purpose and meaning in life. No, the beauty of the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and Jesus sitting down on the throne of God, the beauty of all that is that He did it for us. And it's all going back to His honor and His enjoyment. He loves it. He enjoys seeing us take our sicknesses and our sorrows and say, here Jesus, this is what You came for. Would You take this? To take our sin and to offer it to Jesus and say, look, I'm tired of hiding from You. I'm tired of running from You. You came for it. Here it is. Albert Einstein, one of the brightest men who ever lived, took a train out of Princeton, New Jersey. I've gotten on trains in Princeton, New Jersey. I can envision what happened. The conductor came by and said, no, I uh, need ticket. He's punching tickets. And Einstein starts fumbling through his, his coat pocket, his shirt, his pants. He opens up his briefcase. You can imagine what that looked like. He's foraging for his ticket. And the conductor says, Dr. Einstein, we all know who you are. We're sure you bought a ticket, enjoy the ride, just have a seat. He goes through the car to stamp everybody else's tickets, and he comes back and he sees Einstein's down on his hands and knees, looking underneath his seat for his ticket. The conductor says, Dr. Einstein, please, we all know who you are. We know who you are. Just have a seat, enjoy the ride. He looks up, he says, young man, I too know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. It's like my dad said, you know, we're out driving, you know, typical guys. Dad, you know how to get there? No, but we're making great time. <laughs> no matter how smart we are, intelligence doesn't let us know in life where we're going. We need a Messiah. We need a Redeemer. We need a God who's bigger than we are. Who can fill the void in life and give us purpose no matter where it is that we're going. Now there's a deep down longing inside every one of us to know where we're going. And to know that Jesus is going to get us there. And when He comes and meets us, and takes out the toxins and the crud that's inside, and then we receive from Him the resurrection life, and then we give Him the, the, the steering wheel and let Him sit in the driver's seat of our lives and let Him take control from the throne of the universe governing my life, then I've got direction. Then I've got meaning and purpose to life. Now if you're here this morning and you've never before realized what the death of Jesus was all about, that He took your sorrows and sicknesses And sin, He took it. If you never realized that before, this is your day. Today is your day. If you never realized before what the resurrection is all about, this Easter thing, it's more than Easter eggs or pancake breakfast or any of the trimmings. Easter is about a new life that the one true God offers to you. And the same God who sent His Son to take from you your sin, is now alive and back from the dead to give you victory over your sin and a whole new way of life. And if you've never realized before why Jesus ascended and sat down in heaven, today is your day. It's so that He can run your life and give your life not only fulfillment, but direction. Jesus came up out of the grave, the same person, but now He had authority. He came back and He said, I've got the keys. Nobody else on earth's got the keys. I've got the keys to death. I know how to unlock the door of death so that you're not going to have to die when you die. You're not going to have to die. You're going to die so that you can then have life. I've got the keys. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus came out with the keys of victory over sin. He said, you can't conquer your own sin. I'm not putting you on a positive thinking process here. I'm giving you my resurrection life so that now my life living out through you, you're going to be able to do things you've never done before. I've got the keys. And He sat down in heaven. And from there, He rules the world. And the father said to the son, Son, nice job. Good work. You couldn't have done it better. Now have a seat here. Because I'm going to make all of your enemies a footstool for you. I'm going to make it so that all the enemies of Jesus on earth will become a footstool for Jesus. That's the day we're living in. Part of the reason I like walking around the neighborhoods in Lilburn is because it's another way I can make a footstool for Jesus extending the love of christ i'm so proud of of phil esther's life group that went out and made 70 little crocheted baskets you wouldn't catch me dead making a crocheted basket but praise god there are people that do that in our church family and give them in jesus name and not only brighten a day but let some people know that god still loves them that's what it's all about that's part of making a footstool for jesus Because one day, the nations of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And He will reign forever. What we're trying to say is Jesus is mighty to save. That's not a religious slogan. That's a reality. And if it has not yet become a reality for you, if you're still in the religious slogan stuff, today you can take a significant step forward. Jesus came out with the keys. And He wants to open the, the, the door. Here's the, he wants to open the door to the fear of death in you. He wants to open where you're hiding and He, he doesn't want you hiding anymore. He doesn't want you playing church or posing. He wants to take out from inside of you your sin. And He wants to put in its place His life. And He wants to reign over you so that you can become all you've ever been intended to be. To the glory of God. Now the Bible says that Jesus humbled Himself and became a man. He became obedient to death. Death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's awesome. You want to clap again. You just have to let it out. Sometimes you just got to let it out. Would you pray with me? I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Some of you, this is all new, but some of you, this is your day. Today is your day. I want you to pray with me. Just make this your prayer. Lord Jesus, I humble myself. I must admit, I've never seen why You came or rose or why You ascended into heaven and sat down on the throne. I I never realized that You did that for me. And today, Jesus, I give You what You came for in me. I give You my sorrow, my shame, my sin. I give it to You, Lord. And my sicknesses. And I receive from you, just right where you sit, just hold your hands out to the Lord. I receive from you the resurrection life of Christ. Come in me. Live in me. I receive that eternal life in Christ.